Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. Twenty fourteen is the time. Aus Mahiba Molo, sustainability expert. And when we talk about sustainability, certainly think about ESG and matters related therewith. But for present purposes, let's just hold on to this very, very august title. Commissioner, a member of the National Planning Commission, Ms. Mahiba Molo. Ma'am, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Thank you, Sangezo, and good evening to all SAFM listeners. I'm I'm really honored to be here. I'm actually so excited. We are excited to have you, and never before have we had a member of the National Planning Commission. And only because I'm curious, presumably members of the listenership anyway are just as curious. Tell us about the work that you do at that very, very important public body. And tell us about some of the things we should be excited about, more particularly in line with your work in ESG and sustainability generally. So um, we are the third installment of the National Planning Commission. We were appointed in December 2021. And the National Planning Commission, we are essentially custodians of the National Development Plan. Uh, the National Development Plan is South Africa's long-term plan, long-term strategy. Uh, it is, uh, for some reason, <laughs> become commonplace to say that South Africa doesn't have a plan. But uh, South Africa does have a plan. It's the National Development Plan. It's been in place since 2012. Um the work that we do is very, very exciting. We have a number of work streams that deal with all kinds of aspects from uh, the economy to society to um, governance. So uh, for me, it's a, it's a great place to be, to be in the public policy space. We essentially are advisors uh, on long-term strategy. Um, but I also just wanted to highlight the fact that I'm not actually here uh, in the capacity of the national co- uh, National Planning Commission. Mm-hmm. I'm here in my personal capa- capacity, but yes, happy to touch on uh, the NDP where necessary. Yeah, disclaimers are important, particularly as you occupy the position that you do in life, but I can't resist the temptation as to engage you about that song, Red Red Wine, UB40, that we played, and the significance of the 7th of May in all of that. Tell us. <laughs> so, my intelligence is on point, so don't okay. be surprised I'm even asking this question. <laughs> I've loved this song since I was a child. We were living overseas at the time, and my aunt came from the mountain kingdom of Lesotho to visit us, and she she had the record. I think it had just been released, and she played it for me, and I just, I've been in love with it ever since. But it also bears a great deal of significance for me because I've come to believe it's my good luck charm uh, in the sense that it always pops up wherever I'm having a good time or if I want to underscore something that's happening that's significant in my life. So... When I realized that this happens, that was the first time I went to the United States uh, on my own as an adult. This was in 2008. And we walked into Universal Studios with my cousin. And lo and behold, Red Red Wine was on the airwaves. Mm-hmm. Again in Canada, I was uh, visiting my godmother. Uh, Red Red Wine played in a public space as if it knew that I was there. And then recently, um, so I just decided, I, I, I told the groom that I want to get married on the 7th of May. We'd been engaged for a long time, to be fair. And I said, 7th of May, because it's my dad's birthday. Uh, My dad passed away last year in September. So just to honor him and to celebrate life, I thought I would like to do this on the 7th of May. And we were having lunch at um, one of the restaurants and uh, it came on. So, I mean, if that doesn't prove that it's my good luck charm, I don't know what does. Just very quickly, did you get married on the 7th of May? We are married. We've been married for a week and a day now. <laughs> so, yes, the answer is I'll yes. tell you something else that you can tell anybody who cares to listen. You heard it again on SAFM The Viewpoint when you were the host of the program and incidental to all of that. 
the 7th of May is Songhez on my birthday, the host, the birthday oh, man. Wow. So I've also been 39 and one week and one day old. So that's a brilliant story. And I think it's just inadvertently become my favorite song. You'll be 47th of May. Yeah, I think it should be everybody's favorite song. Maybe not the wine, just the song. And everybody should get married on the 7th of May. I while agree. We add it. Totally agree. The time is 2018. I'm just going to read a very short but impactful biography, let's call it that, of Ms. Mahiba Mollo. There's nothing conventional about her. Her experience of providing strategic counsel on responsible investing to other key and institutional bodies and multinational companies in South Africa defies her as a credible pioneer for responsible innovation, shareholder activism, and justice in strategic relations. Her career, 17-plus years of cultivating solutions in the field of sustainability and corporate governance, especially ESG at Africa's leading stock exchange, including the PIC, Africa's largest asset manager, have validated her recent appointment into South Africa's National Planning Commission, 2021 that was, an independent advisory body to the presidency comprising of experts from private sector, academia and other stakeholders focusing on SA's medium and longer term requirements as defined in the NDP. We've heard that. And above, over and above, rather, her rich insights, influence and capabilities in international and local governance, sustainability frameworks. Mahiba is known and respected for building a case for leadership excellence in ESG value proposition of the future by advocating for inclusivity in policy, an especially important one when especially we talk about gender inclusivity in policy and resource distribution and allocation. She has made numerous public presentations on both work-related and personal matters pertaining to being a successful and effective professional with a disability. She is also a respected columnist and thought contributor. Quite a few things to talk about there, but Mahiba, from where you are, given the things that you focus on and dealing with local as well as international brands and players, particularly state actors of an international character, Brand South Africa is under tremendous pressure, isn't it? How do you engage that question, which becomes an inevitable one when you are engaging investments that you are trying to court for South Africa into the country? They ask you, what's happening to your country? How do you respond to that? Or what do you say? Or what is the sentiment that outsiders think? So, I mean, the reality is that uh, Brand South Africa is under tremendous pressure. Uh, we can't hide from that. And I think the, 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 the fact of the matter is that we just have to be honest about where we are and the challenges that we are facing. They are enormous challenges, but I don't believe they are insurmountable challenges. Mm. South Africa has come a long way since the dark days of apartheid. And of course, there's a long way to go still. But just talking about the numbers that have come out today, yes, um, the unemployment rate itself is still very high. But the levels of employment have increased. That makes a significance to the people that are in employment. And as we know, uh, employment has a significant ripple effect, especially in a, an economy such as South Africa's. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very bleak story. But it's not an entirely dark story. You know, uh, you did mention the fact that I'm a person with a disability. I'm a blind person. And I always like to say that. We need to use our vision. And I, I, I think that if we always bear in mind the fact that we are going somewhere, we can't just give up, throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, well, South Africa's gone to the dogs. Who else is South Africa is this if, it, if it's not ours? Mm. 
So we, we, we kind of need to take the good with the bad, try to harness the good and work through the bad. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be easy. We're definitely going to be bruised, scratched. We're going to bleed somewhat. But we have to focus on the vision. Keep our eye on the prize. We have an NDP to guide us. And it's our NDP. We all need to work together to realize our goals. I'll paraphrase. She may be blind, but she has vision. What a time and point to end this very short segment on the introduction of our takeover guest this evening, Commissioner in the National Planning Commission, but here in her personal capacity, sustainability expert, Ms. Mahiba Mulo. After the break, it's a conversation with her and her guest. I drop no more bombs. I'm out of here. Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. Good evening again, South Africa. I am so excited to be here. As uh, has already been mentioned, my name is Mahiba Mollo. Well, recently now, Baloi. And I'm so excited because I've never been given a platform anywhere, not even in my own home, to speak about whatever I want to speak about for 40 minutes. I mean, this is incredible. I hope my husband is taking notes. And I do have a guest with me. She's just a phenomenal human being. Uh, we work very well together. And I will just hand over to her to introduce herself, uh, bearing in mind that it's my takeover, young lady. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner. Um, it's such a privilege to be in um, your esteemed company. And uh, congratulations for taking over today. Uh, my name is Lucy Balimba, as Usongyezo uh, and, and Mahiba have said. Um, in the intro earlier today. And I think from a professional um, gaze perspective, I have the privilege of running an impact conscious communications company and Delos Strategic Communications, where we help leaders and organizations um, across the globe, uh, big or small, to crystallize their brand value propositions by looking at the moral stakes that are involved in everyday decisions. So we believe that empathy is going to inform what it means to have a license to operate both now um, and in the future. And, and I would certainly love Mahiba to engage me in this particular um, um, lens. But I think beyond the parameters of having to introduce yourself professionally, um, I, I love to introduce the things that also cultivate the inner me. And when we look inside of who I am, I, I believe that I am light. Um, I am a freedom fighter. I'm a mom. I'm a wife, a great wife. Um, I'm a gentle giant. Uh, and I have the biggest heart for humanity and justice. So it is such an immense privilege privilege to be invited on this show and uh, I look forward to an incredible conversation with you Mahiba and your audiences. Wow DC thank you for that uh, that is an incredible uh, self-proclamation I, I know I, I like things like that I like it when we can say and uh, truthful statements about ourselves make truth truthful statements about ourselves and be authentic so um, just by way of, 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 of giving you further insight into who I am, I just want to share a story, which I suppose I call an othering for inclusion story. So a couple of years ago, uh, my partner, well, he was my partner at the time. He now has the privilege of being a little more than that. And I went to an event. Uh, it was hosted uh, somewhere here in Johannesburg. And uh, we were the only two black people at this event. Um, so it was a largely non-black uh, attendance. And it was a great event. You know, we were having fun. We were mingling with other people throughout the evening. And 
as we got to talking to the other attendees and um, listened to some of the speeches, etc., it became apparent to me that we were being othered or we were being categorized uh, because we were the only black people there. So I think there was a lot of assumptions about the fact that we were the token blacks, which I know we were not. I mean, we happened to be very good friends of, of the people who invited us. Um, but from general conversation and the questions that were being asked, it, it, it was quite evident that we were being othered. And I, 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 I kind of got it. I got it from the perspective of being a black woman with a disability. And so I was clearly in some category which is perhaps that of weakness or vulnerability. But what, what, what I found interesting, I mean, as I was contemplating, was I was thinking, you know, of all these people, I'm probably one of the most privileged. Um, I, I, you know, I do come from a fortunate background in the sense that uh, my parents were in a position to, to put us uh, through good schools and uh, we were able to spend some time overseas as children growing up. And um, I also had the good fortune of, of going to university. I was able to get funds to go to university which landed me really in an excellent career around sustainability. And I mean, I think it's an absolute honor to be working in the field of sustainability. And well, the, uh, the money that accompanied that position at the time, I mean, I am now an independent, so I'm no longer employed, but the money wasn't bad either. A lot of the people that were around me at this event had gone to public schools, kind of, you know, from the East Rand, uh, not that I have anything against people from the East Rand, please don't get me wrong. But it was just interesting to me that I was being othered. And, and I wondered what that was about. Uh, one of the people uh, said to, to us as we were on the dance floor, he said, oh, you guys probably want to listen to Amapiano. And I was thinking, you know, Amapiano is great music. So <laughs> that, that's fine. We don't mind if you play Amapiano. But why are you picking on us about Amapiano? Why only us? What, what is the conclusion that you've come to about us based on our skin color? Anyhow, so I, I, I thought, what is the positive message that I can get out of this? And I thought, maybe we can call that othering for inclusion. So if you are going to other people, people that you don't know, people you've only just met, and you've made your own conclusions about them, then do it for good. Other for good, other for inclusion. And I think that is very important for us to always bear in mind in South Africa. There are so many challenges, there are so many problems, and it's so easy to kind of blame other people. Maybe it's government, maybe it's uh, foreigners, maybe it's uh, the people who were not uh, deprived before 1994. Maybe it's all of the above. Maybe it's the international community that is insisting that we transition um, before they give us big loans. Whatever it is, let us other for inclusion. And, and that really is a story that I just wanted to share to talk a little bit about myself, as I've already mentioned. Um, I am a person with a disability, so issues of inclusion, issues of diversity are very close to my heart. And I think this is why I wanted to talk about ESG today demystifying ESG as we set new agendas. Exactly what does ESG mean to the ordinary folk? 
to you and I, when we're not talking about ESG in the boardrooms, when we're not talking about big capital investments, we're not talking about capital allocation, we're not necessarily talking about green indices, etc. What does ESG mean, actually? How do we benefit from ESG? How do we interact with ESG? Um, so I, 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 I wanted to talk about that, and I would love for you to, to have this conversation with me, and hopefully we can part ways having energized each other on the subject matter of ESG so that we leave here being able to go, to go forward and, and do whatever it is that we need to do to better our lives and to continue to support each other as South Africans who are really just trying to get ahead. So just to introduce the topic of ESG, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. It's very popular, the subject of climate change today, not just in South Africa, but in the world. We talk about the just transition and, and that, that focus is really around moving away from fossil fuels, um, although there are different schools of thoughts around that. Um, but the E also encompasses things like um, the ocean economy, the health of the ocean, plastics that are dumped into the oceans and how they are killing our sea life, stranded plastics, etc. We talk about stranded uh, investments in the investment space. We talk about the blue economy. That's really just the ocean's economy, the green economy, obviously transitioning away from fossil fuels um, and what kind of opportunities does the E present us as the ordinary folk? And I think that's the kind of thing that I'd like us to talk about, reskilling, upskilling, not settling for the 5,000 rand jobs, but having jobs that will take us comfortably into the future as we try to set these new agendas using ESG. Under the S, we talk about people, we talk about society. And for me, as I've said, Diversity inclusion is a big thing. Um, transformation, woman empowerment, uh, empowerment of black people, empowerment of the youth. We know that the youth, there's a huge percentage of youth that is unemployed in South Africa. How can we use the S in ESG terms to make that right? What about suppliers, service providers in the space? How do they benefit from something called ESG? And lastly, around the G, I'm very interested in business uh, gentrification. You know, gentrification over time has become some kind of dirty word because it's like people want to come into your space to take your lunch. But if it's business gentrification for good, for example, uh, in the Gasi, you know, uh, these days we talk about uh, Gasi economics and the township economy has all of a sudden uh, become resplendent and people are now talking about it as though there hasn't always been a township economy. Finally, people are starting to look at the township economy and what opportunities there are in the township. So uh, how does that fit into the G, under governance? Um, in the ESG space, we talk about the fact that uh, corporate governance often su surpasses regulation. So where the law hasn't caught up, there's corporate governance. So people can invent all kinds of things, establish all kinds of businesses. We know that uh, Gasi Tech is a big thing. And while laws are, are catching up with those industries, those industries are developing a life on their own. And there's corporate governance to regulate them in a sense. 
So how can we derive benefit from the E, the S, and the G as, as the common man? And um, I don't know, Lucy, what, 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 did, what do you think? So, Mahiba, wow. <laughs> Why was I invited here again? Look at you manning this ship uh, so well. You have literally thrown a banquet of productive insights um, and, and, and many, many um, ways and strands that this conversation can take. I do want to maybe track us back to where you began. So in your introductory statement, you mentioned something about um, South Africa being broken, however, that we, we almost had an equal responsibility of rebuilding it, right? Um, that it was a collective pursuit. Uh, and you painted this really crystal clear picture about um, shared accountability um, and, 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 and almost like rebuilding this, this um, what, what Sungizo said, brand essay. I kind of want to go there. I read something very interesting earlier this week around, um, I think it was by Miles Monroe, where he says, if you do not know the purpose of a thing, then abuse is inevitable. So I'll say it again. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, then abuse is inevitable. And I want to go back to that point around basically the psychology of nation building and um, legitimization, right? Um, you spoke about um, this event that you went to and you know the Amapiano and, and just this idea of othering. I certainly think it's also very apt that you would almost start this conversation like that as somebody who's an advocate for inclusivity uh, and, and policy makings, just almost having that lens on inclusivity. Um, and I suppose um, the cost of not include, including people in perspectives and in, in certain gazes when we're building new agendas. I, I wonder if we also sometimes, as constituents of South Africa, as people who are um, interested in almost like rebuilding this picture of a working nation, do we maybe also sometimes... Or are we also responsible for ushering ourselves out of certain rooms? Do we also delegitimize ourselves mm. as an outcome of preconceived perspectives or, or, or possibly yeah. distorted inner narratives, right? That's, that's the first part oh. that I want to go to. And mm. I say this because there's a piece of context that we cannot ignore moving mm. forward, right? Um, economists uh, talk about the triple threat of poverty or, mm. you know, the, the triple challenge, Mahiba, you are a black, blind woman. <laughs> that in a, on, its, on its own is a triple uh, anomaly, if, if you could say. It's a triple whammy. <laughs> right? Uh, what, what in your space and in your experience then are, are, are almost the social or, or even self-inflicted burdens that you have had to um, uh, cast out uh, or, or, or overwrite or unbelieve? Um, yeah. That is the first question. And also to say, in unbelieving those things, who would you say is responsible for leg legitimizing us? Do we legitimize ourselves or do we wait for policymakers to tell us what tomorrow is supposed to look like? And I say this in respect of um, Songhezo read the news and he was talking about America and <laughs> this incredibly irrational affect America's irrational affection for South African affairs. But also... Mm. There's the moral and ethical aspect of what is right, right, um, when we convene Black Lives, the movement Black Lives Matters. Mm -hmm. At the core of it, having had the privilege to be involved in it, at the core of it, you had black people, you could say, almost craving the legitimacy <laughs> of another constituent to be seen as human, to be seen as real, mm -hmm. to be seen as worthy. 
who bears that responsibility in a society? Is it a personal, individual responsibility, or is it actually the, the, the responsibility of institutions and policymakers? So, you know, Lucy, I mean, you've asked that question in such a profound way, and I think that the answer is unfortunately not so profound. Um, it's up to us as individuals. We actually do have agency. Unfortunately, our past, not just as South Africans, but as Africans, as black people, we have a past steeped in disempowerment, in deficit, in deprivation, uh, colonization, racism, um, disempowerment at all levels, not even being allowed to think for ourselves, speak our own languages and so on. Um, but here we are, the black nation lives. It, 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 is, it is within us. We, we can determine our future. We, we, we might not be able to rewrite our history. Uh, it might sound poetic to say that we are reimagining our history, but I mean, our history is our history. But we have agency hmm. and it's about how we talk to ourselves. It's about what we choose to believe about ourselves. And I mean, it's hard. I, I mean, you asked me, how do I grapple with all of these things that I call the triple whammy? They, I, I suppose I can say it's a triple whammy just to be pessimistic or, yeah. or to make conversation. But there's nothing whammyful, if you like, about being black or about being female or about having a disability. Sure. It might be challenging to have a disability. Uh, God knows it is. But one can work with it. You know, one can use it for good. One can use it to try and uplift other people. Yeah. One can use it to try and empower other people. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think there are so many things that we can do um, as we go to the lines to hear what South Africa has to say about what it is that we're talking about, Lucy. Let's not uh, monopolize the space. So, um. <laughs> Love it. Um, and, and I think context is, is quite a great teacher, you know. Um, guys, uh, please feel free to call in. Would love to hear your, your views, particularly around this idea of legitimization and othering, right? Um, the number to call if you'd like to make calls is 86 000 2032 086-000-2032. And if you'd like to pop a voice note because of load shedding or other issues, um, we are on 061-4104-107. I'll repeat that number again for WhatsApp voice notes. It's 061-4104-107. Thanks. So first up on the lines, we have Kabelo in Maseru. That's in the Mountain Kingdom. Welcome, Gabelo. Please uh, state your case. Uh, hi, Commissioner. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I'm not here in my capacity as Commissioner. Oh, okay. Sorry then, Mrs. Baloy. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you, sir. Thanks for asking. It's, uh, it's lovely to uh, listen to you guys on the show. You guys are both very eloquent and uh, are putting your, your uh, business very, very eloquently, and uh, it is uh, quite nice to hear. Uh, Mrs. Beloy, I like this uh, triple threat that you speak of, um, and uh, I am also quite amused by the thought of uh, you being avid, um, but also being possibly the most privileged person in the room. I wanted uh, to find out from you 
um, what this triple whammy or triple threat um, felt like in the past? Has it always felt um, like an albatross of sorts? Or did you always see it as potentially an opportunity? Uh, Did you recognize that your difference was actually uh, your strength? I think that... um, uh, certainly, in 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 the last few years, you you have harnessed that um, to to wonderful effect, uh, and I know that uh, your father was was very very proud of you. In fact, both your parents um, have always been very proud of you. Uh, but I just wanted to hear about uh, what what it was like growing up with this uh, potential triple whammy, and and uh, and how you've managed to harness the effect. Uh, thank you for the question, Cabello. Um, uh, if, if it's not apparent, this is my brother. He's my younger brother. I have two brothers uh, and an older sister. Um, yeah, it hasn't always been easy uh, bearing the brunt of, say, the blindness in particular. As I say, being black and being female hasn't been a challenge for me, um, despite the fact that as we were growing up, even at high school, you know, there were always very few black people in the room. Uh, in fact, in high school, we only had one black teacher at the time and so on. But that, for me, was never a burden or a challenge. Uh, if anything, it was just a great thing to behold how well the black girls would do. We, you know, we were excelling in school and everything. Um, uh, we were dealing with, yes, I mean, kind of what are called now microaggressions. And at the time, we didn't even have that terminology. Uh, so it would be, you know, kind of if you, your hair looks the way it should, as in it's natural, then it would be called nappy when they're going to relax it or whatever. Can you wear your hair neat? I mean, it was those kinds of things which didn't really bother us, uh, I don't think, not to a great extent anyway. But so my my burden, I suppose, was always the blindness. But with a great deal of support, particularly from my family um, and friends, you know, they've always been there for me. Um I guess I was able to, to, I mean, I went to a mainstream school, for example, mainstream high school, and then I went to uh, UCT, which is obviously mainstream. But I've always had a great deal of support. So, yes, I mean, it was difficult. Um, There were enormous barriers, uh, stigmatization for one, uh, the lack of uh, access, uh, no real materials in a format that was accessible to me as a blind person. But, you know, you overcome those challenges with the help of friends, you know, with a great deal of support from uh, NGOs, tape aids for the blind, etc. Students volunteering to read for me on, on, on tape and, and uh, in the library. Um, people coming to my room to help me with my uh, assignments and so on. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've managed to navigate that. Uh, it, it was difficult, though, and a lot of the time you beat yourself up, you feel inadequate, you don't feel like you're good enough and then you have the challenges of being a female and wanting a hot guy and blah 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 okay i landed one eventually <laughs> yes but <laughs> but yeah no so it it, it yeah I, I mean it was a long road but hey um i don't think uh, anything worth having in life comes easy right so i mean obviously everybody has challenges not just people with disabilities so thank you for that question yeah Thank you for the erudite answer, and uh, enjoy your show. Thank you. I think we have a voice note, Lucy. We do have good a evening, voice Good evening, good evening, ladies. Uh, what a great topic, guys, you are talking about. And yo, you guys, you are well informed about what you are talking about. 
But the truth of the matter is that the people on the ground, you know, I've been stuck in uh, forecast for since morning until now. The people on the ground, they don't know where to take their frustrations. They always take their frustrations to truck drivers, ban trucks, block the road. They don't know what to do anymore. You know, this green energy story, this whatever, global warning stuff, whatever they call it, people on the ground, they don't know nothing about it. We are being told to move away from coal, but we have got thousands and thousands of trucks taking coal to the same people who are running the, 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 the narrative that we shouldn't use our coal. So, I don't know, we are misinformed as the people on the ground. I mean, people from the location, we are those people who are being given that music to say we must dance to Amapiano. We are those people. Extension of that point quickly, Mahiba. I'd like to read this, um, this, this WhatsApp message from Mohale Lebona in Kwakwa. My sincere input is that we should go easy on the many, many red tapes that exist for people to get into business. I think businesses and initiatives that cater to these ESG elements should be given even more leeway, so to speak. This has knock-on effects. Example, I cannot be paying the same amount of money to get an environmental clearance certificate that big corporations also pay. You're monopolizing the market by doing so. Effectively, there is lesser bus- there are lesser businesses in the market that will do what they want and will let them because they provide job opportunities forever compromise and sustainability. So here are two um, different kind of um, <laughs> inputs uh, on, on, on the sustainability agenda. Uh, um, you, you spoke so eloquently about unpacking ESG. Um, do, do you want do you have any comments, any? Yeah, I mean, I think that's great input. And I, I mean, I, I, I think what Mahal and Godko is saying, I mean, I completely agree with that. You know, how, how do you compete with a big listed company in terms of the kind of environmental licenses that you need to pay for? Um, I, I, there is just so much uh, that is convoluted in that space. And I'm so glad that we have an opportunity to talk about these kinds of things on platforms like this. We have to raise our voices and, you know, we have to really, uh, we have to lobby. We have to lobby the people who are in charge, who are in charge of the space to say, this can't be right. How does it make sense? Uh, the voice note that we just listened to, um, uh, he said that it is the people in, in, in the locations who are being affected by these things. They don't understand, you know, green energy. Mm. And, and, and I, I, it's so true, but it's an opportunity for people to, to be reskilled and upskilled. It's a people. It's an opportunity for people to get involved in the conversation. It's a people. It's an opportunity for people to say, "Okay, you know what? I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to have to vent my frustrations to truck drivers and so on. I count. I matter. Listen to me, and let's 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 talk about these things." So I'm glad that we have the space, um, and and let's continue to have this conversation, and let's make sure that we lift our voices. Um, but uh, I think before we delve any more into this topic, we have yet another uh, voice note. Good evening, Radio SFM and listeners of Radio SM. Hey, the young ladies in the studio, your show is great. Um, it's interesting and inspiring for an old lady to listen to you guys. Eh? So keep it up. Thanks, Maria Aprils, Frimbok. Thank you, Maria Aprils. You're the best. That's so nice. Uh, Mahiba, I want to take us there. I want to go there, right? Um, it's not every day that we have the delectable treat of sitting with someone like you. Um, in a room, and there are many rooms that you have uh, treaded in um, as a fly on the wall. Um, Sorry, Lucy, yeah. on that, 
I want you to hold that thought. Can we just take a quick break? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. And we're back. Uh, we are still here on our Tuesday takeover. Lucy and I, Lucy in the studio, Mahibamolo at the helm. I mean, who knew? We have a <laughs> caller on the line, uh, Julie. Please, can we hear from Julie? Oh, hi. Um, yes, a very inspiring guest. Thanks for having her on. Um, I want to ask a question about green hydrogen. Um, I'm wondering if this green hydrogen, you know, it seems to be part of the Great Reset, which Prince, oh, sorry, King Charles is putting across to the world. And um, apparently when you make hydrogen, a green hydrogen, apparently you use lots of water. Now, I've heard that in South Africa, they want South Africa to make these, this vast amount of green hydrogen, and then they want to export it to the world except that it's made with water. So are we going to sit here and thirst to death while the rest of the world has our water? It already has our water in the fruit we export. You know, you have to water the plants. And we um, export fruit juice, it seems, to America and the whole world. And um, are we going to, I mean, that water doesn't come back to us. Are we going to lose the rest of our water through making green hydrogen? Thank you for that question, Julie. I mean, it's an interesting oh, conundrum. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, please. Thank you. It's an interesting conundrum that uh, that we're faced with. But so many things present those kinds of conundrums to us, don't they? Um, the 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 conundrum that we're in with the uh, electricity crisis, with load shedding, and yet wanting to to go green to a degree. Um, you know, we are up in arms about the fact that. Uh, coal-powered stations will be decommissioned and yet we can't afford to lose our coal-fired power stations mm. because those are jobs at risk. So how do we balance that? How do we balance the need to continue the coal economy going? And indeed, it has to keep going. It's not going anywhere. This is a, this is a coal-based economy to a large, large degree. Many, many livelihoods are dependent on, on coal. But at the same time, we need to go green. What is the balancing act? And now, as you're saying, with hydrogen, there's a water element. It really is a give and take with everything that we're facing. And in fact, South Africa is already a water scarce country. Southern Africa is already a water scarce reason, um, uh, region. Um, uh, the mountain kingdom of Lesotho uh, uh, exports a lot of its water to the Gauteng area in South Africa. So these are the kinds of things that we have to navigate. And I'm really glad that people like you are calling in to raise these questions. I think what we need here is information. Knowledge is power, as, as, as we say. But we can't hold back development and progress because we're holding on to the past. We have to. We have to spur ourselves into the future. We have to be catalytic. and We, we can't allow ourselves to be left behind. So these are the questions we have to ask, and these are the questions that need to answer, that, we, that need to be answered. What do we do about green hydrogen? I love that point, Mahiba. And Julie, thank you for that question. I want to extend a provocation back to you, Mahiba, to say, absolutely understood. We do have to march on with the rest of the band. However, is there a place for contextual hierarchy? Um, morally, does it make sense to uh, clean uh, a field 2,000 kilometers uh, from your backyard that still needs cleaning, right? So, yes, absolutely. We are at the intersection of two very important revolutions of our time. Just tran energy transition, all these amazing fancy words and conferences, 
the digital revolution as well, right? But when we think about global frameworks, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, etc., in relation to an Africa that is at, in its own pace and journey, right? We are convening as a global economy to craft a collective impulse for what justice should look like, right? We talk about just energy. But as a policymaker in the room, uh, Mahiba, who decides, right, on what being ahead looks like on, or on what being left behind looks like? That's the first question. Who also decides on the pace and the texture of these commitments, right? It, it really is, again, a question on legitimacy, right? So as Africa, as South Africa, um, can we not, do we not have the scope to create our own value equation? Do we need to go hydrogen? Um, or, or perhaps do we need to focus on jobs first and access to energy before we, we think about whether it's clean or not? And again, this is a provocation. So, you know, uh, despite the fact that I actually swallowed my gum when I walked into the studio, you can actually walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't think that it's one or the other. I think that it has to be a, a, a balancing act. And in terms of your very pointed question about who sets the frameworks, who set the agendas, we do. And, and it, they come out of a national interest policy space first. Every country has national, a national interest policy, a national interest framework, but we are also, as, as, as countries, we are part of a global dynamic, we are part of regions, we are part of the international community. Mm. And we can't pretend that we're not, we're not um, participants mm. in the rest of the world. Uh, there's a debate going on about whether the Russian president is going to be coming to South Africa in August, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. These are these are questions that have to concern us. We we are part of the global community and we have to participate in some of these frameworks. But we set our own. I, I we we do have agenda twenty sixty three, mm -hmm. um, that is with well within the African context. That is our own agenda that, that we have set for ourselves as a continent. And in fact, some of the criticism around agenda twenty sixty three is that twenty sixty three is just too far into the future. In South Africa, we have had uh, frameworks that are actually far ahead of the rest of the world, such as King, because yeah. of South Africa's complex past, because of its the social disparities born out of apartheid. We had to have all kinds of policy that were trying to level out the playing field. So we've had frameworks such as the, we've had the King Corporate Governance Codes, we've had uh, sector charters, and we've had many more advanced uh, frameworks um, we have on the global stage, we have the Global Reporting Initiative, we have the UNPRI and so on. We have all these frameworks that are setting the agenda of ESG. And this is why we're saying we need as individuals, as the ordinary man or woman in the street, as people with disabilities, we need to find how we can make ESG work for us. Removal of red tape is critical. Yeah. Understanding diversity inclusion is absolutely critical. So, you know, we need to be able to say, hey, government, hey, international community, these frameworks can't just be highfalutin discussion points. Yeah. We, as South African citizens, we as Africans, we, we, we're claiming our agency and we're ex exercising our agency. We're using our voices. Sure. So, Mahibat, for me, selfish question. <laughs> if inclusivity were a language, um, what would it sound like? I'd like? Just like me, like I said, black, female, disabled, parents were from Lesotho originally, I mean, uh, what else? What other picture of inclusion are you looking for? Sure, but it. I think that we have to go to news now, Lucy.
So we are going to get the news read for us by Modupi Mahalaneli.